You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into yet another glorious episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner, alongside the one and only Graham Hall. Graham, we are chugging on through the position group preview series, where you and I are going through each and every position group on Florida's roster, breaking down what they have and what they don't. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We've done quarterback. We've done running back. We've done tight end. Uh, we've done special teams. And now you join me to talk a little bit about the uh, the big nasty guys, the offensive linemen, the heartbeat of the team. One could argue, especially this year, uh, in an offense under Billy Napier that we expect to run the ball quite a bit. Also, you know, they got a guy named Anthony Richardson back there that they have to protect. Uh, this is an obviously important unit. I'll ask you first, we'll start broad. What are your thoughts about this group? Do you think that it's a strong unit? Are they able to kind of pick up on the place that they left off last year, which was actually quite positive? I think that actually this is heading into the eighth season that I've had a chance to cover this team. This has got to be relatively the deepest and I think most prepared in a sense offensive line that I've seen since I've been on the beat. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I won't say necessarily that they have uh, like the highest ceiling per se, but I think in terms of being, you know, more than five guys deep and having several experienced uh, backups here as well. I think that this unit overall is the strongest I've seen in a while. And then you factor in two offensive line coaches and capable running runners behind them and, and what they're trying to do on offense. I think that they are really going to have a chance to shine this year. There's certainly some question marks, which we're going to address here in a bit, but in terms of what I've seen, this is one of the more impressive units. Florida has certainly struggled. I think from an offensive line standpoint, especially during the Dan Mullen era, <clears throat> certainly weren't as good as I think they would have liked to be in many ways. Their run blocking repeatedly was an issue that held the, the run game back because of the offensive line. And to see that not be an issue, if that's going to be the case this year, I think would be really, really impressive, not just to media and certainly the coaching staff, but to the fan base as well, who I think has seen the quarterback play di dictated in a sense by the level of the offensive line, whether it was that COVID year in 2020, where the offensive line was very good at pass protection and allowed Kyle Trask to excel or what we saw last year, where they really kind of did struggle in many ways and, and left a lot to be desired. And you saw that the offense kind of take a step back in a sense because of the play of the offensive line. Those guys are a lot more experienced this year. They returned three starters and a guy at right tackle in Michael Tarquin who started the end of the year. And then as you mentioned and alluded to here in the intro, they get a guy who was one of the most highly sought offensive linemen in the transfer market. And a lot of people have high expectations for him from coaches to, and pundits alike. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's let's briefly go through the starting unit for the Gators, just so people know who we're talking about. Richard Garage is expected to start for the Gators at left tackle, uh, with Ethan White next to him. Kingsley Egwakan at center. Osiris Torrance at right guard, and as you mentioned, Michael Tarquin uh, is the expected right tackle for this Gator team. It's a good group, Graham. I think that this is a group that carries a lot of experience coming into the year, as you talked about. Uh, statistically, they were certainly quite good last year. Paved the way for over five yards per carry on the ground, allowed just 14 sacks, I believe, off the top of my head over the course of the entire season, which is tremendous. Although I should add, and I think it's important, that uh, Florida 
had two very mobile quarterbacks last year in Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. And so when pressure leaks into the backfield, you probably have a better chance of evading that with a guy like Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson than you would perhaps a, a more traditional pocket passer. So that might give the, the offensive line a little more credit than it might have deserved, but still nonetheless a very good unit and most of its talent is coming back. Uh, let's talk about Osiris Torrance, though. You mentioned the guy, uh, highly coveted offensive line transfer coming out of Louisiana, played the last uh, three years under Billy Napier uh, for the Raging Cajuns, has experience with Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton, uh, Florida's current co-offensive line coaches. This is a guy who is a first-team preseason All-SEC player. He's an All-American according to four different publications, and he has never played a snap in the SEC. I personally have never seen something like this for somebody to go from a conference like the Sun Belt all the way up to college football's biggest stage and be as highly regarded as a guy like Osiris Torrance. Are you buying or are you selling the hype? What What are your thoughts here? H how do you calibrate expectations? Yeah, I am buying the hype. I, I do agree with you in a sense that his rise from being a first-team all-sunbelt guy, and, and what he did last year was absolutely impressive. You know, that was a unit that finished top 10 in several categories. They led the way in, in many statistics in terms of conference and nationally, and he was a part of that unit that started for a couple of years there. So I absolutely understand why the resume is impressive, but I think there are a lot of people – especially people down here who watch college football week in and week out and tend to think of the Southeastern Conference as just another beast entirely that I think have a little bit of apprehension right now that it's going to translate, I think would be the word. Not that he's not going to be impressive and that the technique is sound and he's going to be able to play at a high level, but whether he's going to come in and be this dominant player in the SEC just because he was in the Sun Belt, I think does remain to be seen. I think a lot of people are assuming that that's going to be the case. And, and I am not necessarily buying that right now. Not that it can't be true, but I think that anyone expecting that maybe pump the brakes a little bit because I do think that the caliber of talent that Torrance is going to face, the workload week in and week out as well, have increased or, and are going to increase here once the season gets underway. And that, that may lead to a little bit less dominant pr production than I think people are hoping for, including the aforementioned people that you just referred to, Jacob, who saw how Torrance performed in the Sun Belt. Maybe it's going to be a little bit of an awakening for them, perhaps a rude one, when the season begins, just based on who he's going to face every single week, going against the defenses from the likes of Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, you name it. It's going to be difficult, I think, for Torrance to maintain that high level of play. With that said, Absolutely, from talking to people in the building, from hearing how he's performed since he got on campus, how he led off-season workouts with guys like Richard Garage, that's kind of, I think, alleviated a lot of those concerns, whether he would be up to the task of coming in and leading and be comfortable to assert himself and, and assert his veteran leadership that he's honed in Louisiana. That has not been a concern, and that's kind of reassured me in a sense that he was kind of be any form of a disappointment here. Now, once we get into the season, I, I think that I'm ready to eat a little bit of crow possibly here if he comes out and lives up to those lofty expectations that a lot of people have for them. You alluded to it also, but being preseason All-American before you've ever played a snap in, in the SEC is just something that you are not going to see every single year, and it, it's going to create lofty expectations that aren't even on the fan base. 
before the season even begins. I mean, all eyes are going to be on Torrance when that season opens on September 3rd against Utah. And I think it's going to be for all the right reasons until he gives you reason to believe otherwise that he's not capable of being the level of player that he was in Louisiana. Absolutely. And I think one thing I, I, I will maybe not disagree with you, but, but, but offer a slightly different opinion. I, I actually am quite convinced that Osiris Torrance is ready for it. I think that this is a guy who is going to be, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that the acclimation period is going to be all that long if it even exists. I think that this is a plug and play type guy uh, just from watching him, even in the brief observation windows that we were afforded throughout Florida's fall camp. I, I, I see a guy who has tremendous footwork. I see a guy who has tremendous leadership qualities. I see a guy who, uh, you know, does an amazing job of getting to the second level. He's aggressive. He is, uh, you know, he's, he's physical, but he also is smart with his physicality. He knows how to leverage himself using his body to be able to, you know, put himself in an, in an advantageous situation against perhaps more talented, you know, just naturally defensive linemen. I'll use an example. Uh, on several occasions throughout fall camp, I had heard that Osiris Torrance was matching up directly in one-on-ones with Javon Dexter, obviously Florida's, you know, best defensive player, at least in terms of potential. Here's a guy who, you know, has has the ability maybe to sneak into the first round of the NFL draft as a defensive tackle. And you have a brand new guy, you know, Cyrus Torrance coming out of the Sun Belt, and he's holding his own, if not getting the best of a guy like Javon Dexter. And if, if in my opinion, that is extremely promising. I think that if, if Osiris Torrance wasn't dominating the reps within practices against guys like Javon Dexter, uh, like maybe even a Brenton Cox, if they were to do some sort of one-on-one situation, even though uh, Osiris Torrance is a guard, uh, that to me is, is, is what you need to know. I think that here is a guy who really does have all the right tools in his belt. Uh, and it's just now a matter of, of, of showing that this is where he belongs and that the Sun Belt was a mistake. And I think a lot of people would tell you that he was a guy who flew under the radar and Louisiana was fortunate to be able to pick him up. And this is the stage that he belongs on. So I will be very curious to see how that shakes out as I'm sure you will be. Uh, let's talk about the other starters on Florida's offensive line. We've got guys like Richard Garage, Ethan White, Kingsley Aguacan, uh, Michael Tarkin, Tarquin, excuse me. Uh, who, who stands out among that group of four? Is there somebody you're watching in particular? Uh, do you have any concerns with the group? Let, let, let's break those guys down a little bit. Well, I think, you know, the last guy you just mentioned there, Michael Tarquin, I think certainly is the guy that I'm watching right now. You talk about someone who started at the tail end of last year. He replaced a six-year guy in Gene DeLance, um, a guy who ends up making it to the NFL. And, and Tarquin is someone who a local product hadn't really been given much of an opportunity to come in here and perform right away just because of the guys ahead of them. And this kind of leads me to my next point as well about maybe why I'm a little bit uh, hesitant to proclaim uh, Torrance as this you know, starter right away. It's because of the other guy who was next to DeLance for so long. And, and that was Stuart Reese, a guy that came over from the SEC from, Miss, from Mississippi State. And he was initially kind of proclaimed as someone who was going to fix a lot of Florida's offensive line issues and, and be instantly the best guy in that unit. And that really wasn't the case. Really kind of, not to say he disappointed for both the years that he was in town, but I, I do think that there was a little bit more praise given to him ahead of time based on where he actually lived up to with Michael Tarquin. That doesn't seem to be the case kind of to segue back. He's someone who throughout the last year since Billy Napier got on campus has impressed people for his professionalism, despite not having 
the in-game experience that guys like Garage, really everyone around him on that starting unit has. I mean, the least amount of experience from the starting unit right now, and he's carrying himself at an extremely high level. I think that that is something I'm watching. Will the level of play match up to the way that Tarquin has prepared himself? That's a huge question for me, especially considering that he's playing a, a very valuable position at the right side um, of the offensive line at that tackle spot, how he is going to be able to live up to the play from recent years from Delance, who, even though that guy did leave a lot to be desired, was a guy who improved over the past couple of years uh, as he was getting starting reps. Is Tarkin going to be able to play well and at a high level, even though he only has a couple of starts under his belt? That's something that I am certainly watching for. Of course, you can go through preparation week in and week out at a high level, but it's an entirely different thing once you get in the game and whether he's able to, like I said, live up to that is something I'm watching. And then I'm going to, you know, bring up Ethan White here because that's one that I think is a little bit interesting to fans right now. If they've been following fall camp, White through the last half of camp was kind of alternating between a full participant and a non-contact jersey. And it was because of a kind of an undisclosed ailment that they really couldn't get under control initially for a little while and how much that hindered his late preparation is something that I am certainly watching, but, and not to be even unfair to him, but part of why I'm watching that is because Ethan White has just had injury issues recently in the past. He had that ankle sprain that was pretty bad. And, and, you know, going back to 2020, he had a knee injury that kept him off the field for the second half, you know, combined has played, I think 13 games over the past two years. And now he's going to start at left guard. Is he able to string together a fully healthy season so that Florida doesn't have to rely on one of these backups that they have been developing in Richie Leonard and or Will Harriet or Austin Barber. If they're able to get a full season out of Ethan White at left guard, that's going to, I think, incredibly raise the ceiling for this unit's play because that's a guy who is, like Tarquin, carried himself as a professional, got in extremely good shape. He's down nearly, what, 80 pounds since he got to Gainesville. And if he can just avoid some of those fluke injuries, getting rolled up on, having a lingering high ankle sprains, things of that nature. I think that you're going to see a guy who's really going to be at his best this season. It's just really kind of up to fate in a way to make sure that he doesn't have anything happen to him that's going to get him off the field. Sure. And I will I will highlight the man in the middle. I'm going to go with Kingsley. I, I think that this is a guy uh, who has a lot of potential. I think that that this is a guy who could sneak his way uh, into a third or fourth round draft consideration if everything goes perfectly. I'm not sure, though, and this is something that you and I have talked about uh, without a microphone in front of our faces. You, you and I have discussed, I, I can see Kingsley being a guy who has some serious draft potential if he were to return. I think that this is a stepping stone year for him. Uh, I, I personally think if it were up to me and I were his advisor, I would tell him, go ball out in 2022. And then look into coming back in 2023, seeing what you can do. He was named to the Remington Trophy watch list, so he is among the, the or who you know the powers that be consider among the top centers in the country at the moment entering the season. Uh, and and I think that that is fair. I think that he might not have his name uh, out there as much as he deserves. Even I think you could go as far as to say he might be slightly underrated. There are things though that I have questions about. I am I'm curious about the consistency of his technique. Uh, and whether or not his the things that he does on the field are repeatable when they're good and avoidable when they're bad. Because everybody's going to make mistakes, but do you let those things compound or do you let your technique slip in the moments where you aren't at your best? That is my biggest question about him. I also think 
a guy like Garage, you can say a lot of the, the same stuff about him. I think he has a lot of potential. I think he's a good player. Uh, but I also think that, you know, when, when things go wrong, does he get sloppy or does he revert back to technique, which is something just to circle back and tie into Osiris Torrance that he has helped do since he joined this Florida team. Torrance has talked about, I've had conversations with my new teammates where we talk about technique, where, you know, if we're in a game and things aren't going perfectly, what do we do to get back to an acceptable level? It all starts with technique. So that's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton have a track record of, of being really good player developers at the position. Uh, they know how to communicate what needs to happen effectively. Uh, they have a track record, especially at Louisiana, of, of getting guys to the league, uh, identifying talent and, and developing it. Uh, and so I'll be very curious to see also the maturation of Florida's starting offensive line group uh, over the course of the season. I think we've talked uh, uh, enough about the starting group. Let's let's focus on some of the key reserves. Florida, uh, Billy Napier said that they had identified a group of, you know, top three. So six, seven, eight offensive linemen. You and I can reasonably assume that that consists of uh, Josh Braun, Austin Barber, and Richie Leonard. Uh, I think just outside of that group of three is probably a guy maybe like Cameron Waits, who also transferred with Osiris Torrance from Louisiana, just a big guy. Uh, six foot eight, around 370 pounds. Uh, tell me what stands out to you about that group of reserves. Let's focus on the on the first three for now uh, before we maybe expand our board a little bit and, and look beyond them. So again, Josh Braun, Austin Barber, and Richie Leonard. Graham, what, what are your thoughts on those guys? Yeah, I'll start with the first two. Austin Barber was a guy that I think initially impressed people with the mean streak that he has to his level of play. And the question was always whether he would physically be able to get to a shape where he was going to be able to combine that to match up with guys at a consistent level. And over the past six months, that has absolutely been the case. You've seen a guy who has been just living in the weight room and has trimmed a lot of his bad weight and gotten to a place where he can just compete consistently. And yeah, that mean streak is just something to be desired. You can't really teach that. You can teach technique, you can teach, you know, diet, conditioning, you name it, but you really can't teach a lot of the time guys, how to, how to guys, you can't teach them how to play mean. I mean, as much as a lot of coaches will try, it is going to be something that some people will just not be able to do. And when you find someone like that and you can get them to do everything else right, it really just makes you want to get them onto the field. And I think that's a good way to characterize Austin Barber. He's someone who has consistently impressed since he got to campus. And like I said, now he's putting it all together. Last week at the end of camp, Billy Napier said that although Austin Barber may not start, they view him as a potential starter <clears throat> at left tackle. <clears throat> Excuse me. If they can absolutely get reps out of him when they need to rotate some guy in, whether it's it's Tarquin playing left tackle and, and Barber playing right when you need to get some rest for garage, you name it. I think that this gives you a guy that is able to work at either side, uh, either tackle spot, excuse me, and give you a lot of reps um, on your offensive line. And then Josh Braun, I think, is another luxury. There were a lot of people who were expecting this guy to start this season, considering he was a former four-star prospect, almost wound up at Georgia. Florida got him late in the class. There were a lot of people thinking that he could play either at left guard or right guard. Right guard looked like it was going to be the key for him. Ethan White coming back, obviously, at left guard. But then you get Torrance. And it allows you to cross-train Braun at several positions and really give you this kind of band-aid, in a sense, where you can insert this guy at any spot that you need, and he's going to give you quality reps every single time. 
for a unit that is, is, I think, in my opinion, the most prone to facing some undesirable injuries in a sense, you need to have, you know, three, if not four capable backups at any time. And that's not something that Florida has been able to say recently. It, the depth has been an issue every single year since I've been covering this team. It's rare that you are too deep in terms of a unit for the offensive line. And to hear that Florida thinks that they have even eight guys in my mind that are capable of helping out is incredibly promising in my mind. And that's even before factoring in the, the guys you mentioned earlier in Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton, the two coaches who are leading the development of that unit right now. And, and there's some people, you know, I know you wanted to keep it to the top three of that unit, but there are some that I hardly hear mentioned in terms of the numbers who really haven't been able to contribute. One of them is another four-star and Yusuf Mukarbel, who arrived around the same time as some of these other guys here and, and wasn't really able to contribute his first year on campus, but a really promising guy on the recruiting trail, a top 247 prospect. And now he really has a chance to work his way into that second unit and compete for reps as well. So I think Florida, not only do they have a very promising starting unit, but this is one of the more promising reserve units that I've seen in some time. Yeah. And I, I think that if you're, you know, if you want to talk about minimum number of players that you want on a roster in terms of guys who you could confidently or somewhat confidently put into a game and feel like you, you know, obviously you're going to take a step back from your starters to a reserve, but you know, you want to feel competitive when you put reserves into the game. If you have to, I think the minimum number for that on any given team is seven. And we're talking bare minimum. I think you need five starters, obviously. And then you probably can get away with having two very high quality backups. And like you said, I think that this team is in, in a good spot. I'm not going to say it's a great spot. Uh, I think Braun is extremely serviceable, especially as an interior option. If Florida needs to replace, you know, uh, Ethan White, uh, Osiris Torrance, I think that that is probably your, your plug-in. And then I think Barber has done a really good job this fall of cementing himself as the guy to play on the outside. I think when, uh, you know, there were some, there were some injury concerns uh, going on throughout Florida's fall camp, especially earlier on. Uh, Richard Garage missed about a week and a half of practices and, and the way Florida compensated for it with its first team unit. They moved Michael Tarquin over to the left side. They slotted Austin Barber in at right tackle. And apparently it went well. Uh, it sounds like, you know, Austin Barber is, is clearly in that next tier of player. You know, if you look at Garage and Tarquin, they're in their own category. And then you have a guy like Barber. So there is a step back. But, you know, for him to put himself in a position where he's trusted enough to go into the game is huge. Uh, for this Florida team. Graham, do you have any final thoughts offensive line-wise? This is going to be a big year for this unit. Uh, like you and I have talked about on previous episodes of the show, we expect Florida to potentially run the ball as much as 60% of the time. Uh, so it's going to be a busy season up front. Uh, any any final thoughts? Yeah, how do they work in some of these other guys that maybe are on the cusp of being in the second unit but haven't really had the in-game experience? If Florida has a chance to get a lead at any of these games and they are consistently running the ball, it would be extremely wise to get some of these freshmen, of course, you know, missing guy like David Connor, who is going to miss all of at least the majority of the season there with that unfortunate injury he suffered in fall camp. If, if you can get guys like Jalen Farmer into the game, Jordan Herman, Cam Waits, uh, Yusuf McCarble, Richie Leonard, Will Herod, if you can get any of these guys into the game and get them valuable in-game reps, especially if they can still preserve that, that that freshman year redshirt, I think it really gives you a good opportunity to bank on them moving forward. That's how you set up guys to be 
potential contributors the year after. They get in the game, they see what it takes, and they have film to review. How Florida is able to do that, I think we'll say a lot, not only about the starting unit, but how much they're going to be able to prepare that unit going forward. Because when you're talking about what this unit is going to look like after this season, I think it becomes a little bit much more dicey of a, a topic because you face potentially four starters from this year's team heading to the NFL draft. So you're going to have to start focusing on those next men up to use a cliche there, who you can get in the game and start getting some valuable in-game reps. And I think we don't really have a good sense right now of where some of those guys after those initial three reserves stand right now. And so seeing them get in would, I think really be a, a valuable thing for Florida to do. And I'm, I'm sure that they're thinking already of ways to do that. Absolutely. And that I think will do it for us on this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. You just heard us talk about Florida's offensive line unit. And, you know, if you're at the end of this episode and missed our previous four, just to remind you, we do have position group previews already up on our YouTube and our audio only podcast platforms about quarterback, running back, tight end and special teams. So we are five positions deep. We're about halfway through. Uh, yeah, and and so keep it locked on uh, those platforms. Make sure you're checking us out at swamp247.com directly where we have plenty of written content for you, especially actually with these position group previews. Uh, each one of them is accompanied by a written format type piece where we go down and look at the depth chart at each position and potentially some standouts uh, with some quotes and some insight from Florida's coaches and players. Uh, and you don't want to miss it. So make sure that you head on over to the site uh, for Graham Hall, my name is Jacob Rudner, and we will see you with the next position. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.